Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Goals on Film, Edge of the Crowd's dedicated sports movies podcast. I'm your host, Jason, and I'm joined by Stewie this week. How have you been doing? Good, thanks, mate. Uh, back to Adelaide for my daughter's 21st um, over the weekend. It was a great time. Can't believe I made something that's 21 years old. Uh, makes me feel very old myself. But uh, otherwise, things are good, man. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, you know, it's been a pretty busy couple of days too. And uh, yeah, been pretty good otherwise. Um, but excitement is building, I think, Stewie. Because excitement is building. This week, it is AFL Grand Final week. Yes, it is. Uh, we've avoided talking about AFL, haven't we, Jason? A little Ever bit. Said your team got knocked out in the uh, in the first week, week of the finals. Yeah. Um, Collingwood almost made the grand final. Yuck. Glad that we didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're firing up for it. And we got a uh, we got a fantastic Aussie rules movie to talk about. Don't turn off, ladies and gentlemen. We are not going to talk about the club again. We've got something much better to listen to. Jason, tell them all about it, mate. Yeah, obviously, if you do want to listen to the club, you can go back and do so after you've listened to this one. Um, But this week, as we said, it's an exciting time of year, that's for sure. And we're celebrating this year's AFL Decider by taking a look at an Aussie Rules football film, 2018 comedy drama, The Merger. So just I'll run you through a little bit of a synopsis about what this movie is about. It follows a former AFL football star, Troy Carrington, uh, who has fallen out with his community of Dodgy Creek over leading protests that led to the closure of the local timber mill and in the eyes of a lot of the locals, the town itself. Troy is living like a hermit um, on the town's fringe. However, he is coaxed by into coaching uh, the local football team after striking up an unlikely friendship with a young uh, child named Neil, who is struggling with the recent loss of his father. Teaming up with Neil's mum, Angie, who is running a nearby refugee support centre, they conspire to recruit new arrivals to save the team. However, the plan is not well received by Neil's granddad and club president, Will Barlow, who leads a concerted protest to undermine the refugee's settlement. For all Troy's good intentions, his initial efforts to turn this rebel into a team seem to be faltering, Um, and aside from the brilliant Saeed, this team is going backwards, and some of the players do resent the newcomers. However, slowly the team does begin to gel, and the refugees assimilate into the community. Bull, having formed a friendship with his new neighbour Saeed, though, um, through their shared grief, jumps on board the bandwagon as the Roosters end up winning a couple of games and make the finals, eventually winning the grand final as well as uh, Troy basically earns his redemption. Um, And yeah, basically the, uh, the question that was asked at the start, whether the team merges with another or folds uh, is essentially resolved um, that they are able to work out all their differences and get a team up and running and uh, a successful team as well. So Stewie, what did you think of this film? Uh, I, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, we, we were talking a little bit off mic about it. it. It is not a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination. There's a few pacing issues Um it can be a little bit corny at times, but there's there's a lot lot worse ways to spend an hour and thirty, an hour and forty minutes. Uh, it's thoroughly enjoyable. 
Um, the format's kind of been done to death a little bit, but um, that doesn't mean it's not good. There's a reason why people keep going back to that well. It's because it does work. Um, I've got some takes. I'm not sure where we're going to fit them in with regards to, uh, you know, the refugee stuff. Um, there's a little bit of casual racism floating around Bodgy Creek and some, you know, blatant racism at times too and some of the themes of the movie are a little bit problematic but i'm sure we will uh we'll get into that as uh as the podcast goes on yeah i think we will definitely get into some of that but i just want to go to one of your points that you made stewie about like you know what we sort of expect from a film like this and i think that like this sort of like you know uh I guess like this type of commentary or this type of like way that, you know, we sort of associate sometimes with, you know, those, you know, small Australian films. I mean, like I look at, you know, films, I, I sort of like associate this movie in sort of like the same vein as like a castle or like Kenny, like, you know, that sort of like comedy, that sort of like, you know, ensemble, um, that sort of like, yeah, just like how the film sort of plays out, what you sort of expect in terms of like, yeah, like the, um, mixed between like humor and other like sort of light-hearted moments as well um mm -hmm. and so like I think that you know you can sort of put these as like a bit of a collective as well but I think that you know it's still a pretty good sort of comedy film um you know produced by you know Australians like you know it's obviously an Australian film and so like I think that you know these sorts of uh movies like do have a bit of a lasting impact and like you know are remembered or at least like you know remembered for different parts of the movie as well and so like you know this movie's only been out for four years as well um and as far as i i can tell like i don't think it's like you know so popular as like obviously as as a castle or as a kenny um but like you know maybe in a couple of years it will be as like you know sort of uh you know it's longevity and that sort of thing but like you know yeah so I look at this and I like remember and I look back to like films like that you know just in terms of like yeah the overall sort of product um and obviously this movie just like has elements of sort of like the country cliches um and yeah I think that sometimes it does fall flat sometimes you do get like you know the slight chuckle some sometimes a little bit more as well um but I think like coming back to it like you know it's really heartfelt I think like, you know, parts of it are important. Um, you know, you touched on, uh, you know, its approach to refugees. And I think that, you know, it did an okay job or like, you know, I think that, you know, the film tried as much as it could to sort of like tell, you know, an audience of like what was happening or like, you know, the sort of um, reaction um, to, you yep. know, people like this um, and, you know, like a small community, like, you know, there are going to be others who like are, reluctant to this sort of stuff and um you know you know you mentioned a couple of the things before about like how a couple of the people um you know made their racism uh known um and uh yeah we'll definitely get stuck into that a little bit later as well i just want to say um i want to make it clear i did enjoy this movie i'm not going to share this movie for the entire podcast <laughs> it was a good time I, th I thoroughly enjoyed this movie and i think um i think you're right the longevity of it, like in time, this is going to gain in popularity simply, well, not simply just because, but one reason for that is there's not a lot of AFL movies out there. And this is, you know, um, an AFL movie. I agree. Like, I think that like, because there's so like little Aussie rules movies like this probably will stand up in time. Like it's better than 
sort of what you have seen previously. Like, you know, if, yeah, it's better than yeah. what's out there. The acting is, is good for the most part. Sometimes the comedy is a bit forced, but that doesn't mean it's not funny. There's still plenty of funny stuff in there. I think it's brave the way it tackles the refugee issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- just giving you a little bit more context to something I said before. Um, it's problematic in the way that um, in order for them to assimilate, they have to kind of change to Aussie ways rather than the people there accepting them for who they are kind of thing. Like, oh, you're part of the footy team. Now you're cool kind of thing. That's a little bit problematic, but uh, that's just picking nits. Like um, anyone listening still after this rambling statement I've made, um, (laughs) I I urge you to go out and check this movie out because uh, it didn't do well at the box office. It didn't have a wide release, but I think it equaled out to maybe $1,000 per theatre that it was opened in. Um, and it's much, much better than that. Yeah, it definitely is. But we will move on now. And before we get into looking at the historical references, if any, in there, and there were like a little bit, a few, but we'll look at the history into how this film actually came about. And so uh-huh. Damien Cullinan, uh, he actually so in recognition of his ability to appeal to country audiences and create multi-layered performances he was commissioned in late 2009 by regional arts victoria and vic health to have a crack at writing a show that might subtly deal with issues of racism in regional communities and the result was the merger um, which is some people argue that it is his most successful show to date And so using the template of a fictional Bodgy Creek Roosters football club, he used this name of a football club in another one of his shows as well called Sportsman's Night. Um, And so he basically like took this and projected a few years into the future of a dysfunctional club and the situation, um, you know, a grim looking situation really. And so the show premiered at the 2010 Adelaide Fringe before going to earn Damien his third Barry Award nomination at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And, uh, yeah, such was the success of that show. Momentum began to build to adapt the story into a feature film, and um, a film version of the merger received production funding from Screen Australia and Create New South Wales and was shot on location in 2017 in the town of Wagga Wagga. Um, And it was obviously written and starred um, Cullinan himself in the lead role, and uh, yeah, I think that it was just really cool to get to know that, you know, a sort of like stage sort of play of his um, made it into a feature film. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's cool to know the origin story. So the merger was originally a one man show, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, that's incredible. And it speaks to his talent as well. I'm not going to sit here and, and say I'm a huge Damien Callanan fan. Um, anything I know about him, I only learned in the last three or four hours since I finished watching the movie. Um, but yeah, he's clearly, he's clearly a super, super talented dude. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it is interesting. You don't often hear of one man shows being, uh, greenlit for, uh, for, for theatrical release movies. So that's, uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. We will move into looking at a few of the historical references that there were in the movie. And I'm not sure that they really were historical references, but more so like uh, references to something 
um, that they obviously had to sort of include to make the film's plot um, sort of like continue on. And so like the parts that I picked up um, were sort of early on um, when it was first mm-hmm. sort of like established of Troy Cannington's AFL career. And so I couldn't really determine what club he played for. I couldn't like zoom in so much on those um, newspaper <laughs> snippets or not, but we did have a AFL rising star trophy um, come into view and it was the 1996 AFL rising star that apparently Troy Cannington won. Mm-hmm. Troy Cannington, or I should say a Troy Cannington did not win the 1996 AFL <laughs> Rising Star. Um, it was... Can I have a crack at guessing who yeah, won Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 1996. Mm. Nathan Buckley. No, it was not Nathan Buckley. Okay. Well, that's the only AFL player I know, so... <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'll, I'll, I'm not too sure. Who was it? No, so Nathan Buckley won it in 1993. He won the actually first uh, Rising Star trophy. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, right. But it was a, you know, I think, you know, a little-known player called Ben Cousins. Oh, yeah. No, I never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so obviously, yeah, West Coast player Ben Cousins um, won a premiership. Richmond player. Brown Low. True. Mm, <laughs> I Jason. almost forgot about that. In, <laughs> and by almost, I mean did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think he wishes he did too, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so he won the Rising Star in uh, 1996. The other part of Troy's story uh, was that he was picked up in the rookie draft in pick, as uh, pick number 72. This is you. I cannot believe Saeed, this is Troy. Yes, Rooster Boy, I know who this man is. I read this book in detention center. Really? Yes. I want to read again. You were number 29, rookie draft pick 72, nicknamed Custard Guts. I'm never really stuck. Not like town killer. Now, um, establishing that he won the Rising Star in 1996, it's sort of, um, you know, we can make the assumption that... He, it was the 1995 draft um, mm-hmm. selected in for that 96 season. Seems like a fair assumption. But the first rookie draft was actually held in 1997. So after Roy Cannington's AFL career started. How did they miss that one? <laughs> That's ruined the movie for me. I've got to tell you, Jason. <laughs> there was, however, a pick 72 in that year's rookie draft. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was Essendon's pick. They drafted Andrew Henderson from the University Blues. Um, oh, Hendo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other AFL player that I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he was drafted by or from the University Blues, which is essentially Melbourne Uni. Um, and Andrew Henderson he ended up playing zero games for Essendon across two seasons. The other parts that, you know, you might... Uh, pick up that you know could be referenced uh, to history um, involve the Asbestos Act of 2012. Goober, snap it, you mind handing these out? Now focus on the club's micro problems. Your micro problems are no money, no club rooms, not enough players, threat of expulsion. Macro problem being you're rooted. Did you put him up to this? No. Now, I'll focus on one specific micro problem, the club rooms. And according to the Asbestos Act of 2012, 
All buildings built prior to 1986 are eligible for rebuilding grants, and I've checked, and you are. Now, Angie, I hope you don't mind, but I've done a little bit of homework, and I've found that you can get triple, maybe even quadruple your funding by accessing grants to employ refugees for the rebuild. What kind of club rooms if we don't have a team? Have a thing about it, mate. If these boys can swing a hammer, I reckon they can kick a footy, yeah? And we'll turn the club rooms into a community hub that everyone can use. This, this is really good. As far as I could see, there wasn't much like related to that in terms of how they outlined it in the film about how, you know, clubs, if they had a building that was uh, run down by asbestos, that they could hire refugees to help build it and then get grants and stuff that way, um, like they did in the film. I think that, yeah, any sort of a Asbestos Act or a sort of piece of legislation or piece of information that I could find just, like, sort of outlined, like, you know, what to do in that situation, how to get rid of it um, and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And so, yeah, it didn't really uh, give an outline on how um, asbestos, a club having Asbestos in their club rooms could, uh, you know, help the help the team win a championship or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the refugees do talk about um, staying in Christmas Island, um, being transported to Nauru, mm -hmm. um, the hot sh place, as the one guy would say. How long since you've seen them? For now, six years. Take three years before Australian government say, yes, you are a real refugee from Syrian civil war. They are stupid people. But then, because no advantage policy, I must wait the same time to bring my family. Three more years. I come here soon. This is wife Fezella and daughter Sima. She was only four when I see her last. She's hot. When they come here soon, if Rooster Boy touches my daughter, I maybe kick him in tiny balls. He's upside. I'm only ten. This is mother. And your father? He is killed in civil war. Sorry, mate. There's a little guy. That is brother Ahmad. When civil war begin, we live in Aleppo, but rebels move into our suburb. We are not rebels, but Assad government troops try to arrest us, so we must escape. When I take Fazala and Sima to refugee camp in Turkey. Mother would not leave. Then Ahmad and Said try to come to Australia, where uncle he live. Then we hope to bring all family here, safe. After a very long time, we get to Christmas Island together on boat, then to Nauru, hot shit place. And then one day, Australian government man come and say, you are economic refugee, not real refugee. You go home. <laughs> Our home is gone, bombed. So I say no, but Hamad, he feel bad about leaving mother alone, so he go home like a baby mummy boy. But uh, I think I think that's historically accurate, right? I mean, Christmas Island and Nauru have have been refugee detention centres um, for Australia in the past, if they're not still currently. Mm -hmm. But we will like yeah continue on with that as well because uh, I don't remember who it was, but yeah, one of the characters did reference the no advantage policy. Okay, um, and so basically, uh, yeah. The Australian Association of Social Workers put this out um, and basically yeah, addressed poverty and asylum seekers under 
uh, policy titled no advantage. And so we will like, yeah, go into this no advantage policy that was spoken about in the film by one of the characters. And I think like we'll try and understand it um, as sort of best we can. And so in August 2012, the report of the expert panel on asylum seekers created a new myth in the language of asylum seekers and refugees. And this was like the idea of the no advantage principle. Um, it was a variation on the refugee queue myth um, and sort of took a, on a life of its own. Um, and I think that it was more so like, yeah, surrounding the uh, problem of there being like no processing time for refugee cases and um, you know, these sort of like taking, you know, however long that they do take and um, is sort of the reason why some wait years for resettlement and that it's not really due to any queue or, you know, no advantage test, but it's simply about quotas. And so, um, yeah, there's sort of like uh, arbitrariness and sort of like the process um, because people believe that like their case would be looked at sooner. And um, hence, you know, I think the no advantage myth was created to, punish uh such people yeah yeah that's uh it's the refugee situation in australia we we spoke about this off mic so it's uh you know it, it it's shitty. we've got a big country here we don't have enough cities okay well, let's build some more cities don't have enough workers you know what it'll help we get some refugees over here just so we've got more skilled labor we've got a big country here and uh you know 90 percent of us are either uh, descendants of convicts, colonists, or refugees, you know? And, um, I'd, I'd, yeah, it's 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 a thing. It makes me ashamed to be Australian, actually, sometimes, our refugee policy. Yeah, no, I definitely think that the feeling is uh, definitely felt by a lot of others as well. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I think myself as well. Like, you know, when you properly, like, you know, dive into these sorts of things and like properly understand like what it's all about um yeah you know you're definitely going to have uh feelings like that mm, absolutely yeah they, this could be a whole other podcast jason <laughs> to be honest so i won't wind up too much but uh yeah yeah no i, I think like yeah it is really interesting like obviously like this movie is sort of like uh filmed and set in sort of like the 2017-2018 period as well and um, these sorts of uh, myths of this, these sorts of policies came out in 2012. And so like they were still obviously being spoken about, um, you know, six years later. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, effectively, I think, uh, you know, part of a sort of deterrence strategy and sort of like characterizes refugees by, you know, the mode of transport that they want to come to Australia, um, you know, obviously the wait times, um, you know, where they're based, what they can have access to. Um, and yeah, as, as, as I said, like the more you like go deeper into it, like as we are now and like, as we're sort of like learning now, um, I think that, you know, yeah, it can be summed up, like you said before, like, you know, so you think about these things too, um, you know, too much, um, and, you learn about these things, um, yeah, it can make you feel ashamed to be Australian, like you said. Absolutely, yeah. The people that make these decisions need to have a long, hard look at themselves. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, leading on from this as well, like, you know, there was a sort, sort of clear sort of like theme of this movie and a sort of message of this film as well. Um, and so I guess I think like the film is sort of like timely um, with 
uh, the world sort of facing the worst humanitarian, um, you know, refugee crisis since World War II um, is what I read. And so the film obviously has sort of like simple messaging, um, you know, interwoven with these like bigger moments as well. And so like the simple messages are ones of like empathy, respect, giving people a fair go, acceptance, and it places the larger sort of like global tragedy into like a smaller context of like just an Australian town. And like, you know, we spoke a bit at the start as well about like, you know, reactions from the townspeople about this sort of stuff. And so I think that, uh, yeah, it just sort of, you know, obviously like this movie, like the main theme or like the bigger one is like, you know, uh, creating a new sort of like more culturally, uh, like accepting culturally diverse uh, Australia, really. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, and it's a thing that it doesn't quite knock out of the park. Mm-hmm. Um, it stumbles a little bit. I spoke about, um, you know, uh, the way that uh, the refugees were expected to uh, change and assimilate to our way of life rather than us accepting them. <laughs> Granny boys, we're in the granny. Let's drink to it. Come on, mate, have a beer. Come on, we won. Come on, have a beer. No, thank you. Skull, skull, skull. No, thank you. Skull, skull, no, skull, skull. Knock it off, carpets. So it kind of fumbles a little bit, but I think it does enough that it does drive drive the message home that you know. Some people have to uh, take their heads out of their asses. If I could borrow a quote from Edge. Speaking of sorry causes, any news on a new Roosters coach? There's a rumour going around that Troy Carrington might be in the mix. That's you. Yeah, well, we did talk to him, but uh, it's pretty hard to hear when you've got your head shoved halfway up your arm. Right, well, we might go to another song. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean... We can uh, borrow another quote from the movie as well, which was like sort of like a battle cry and a call to arms and, um, you know, that we heard a couple of times throughout the movie as well. And I think that we can use this in life, I think, as well. Keep doing it until you're not sh- <laughs> Title of my autobiography. <laughs> but yeah, I think like we obviously get uh, sort of like a message of like inclusivity um, in the film and, Um, I think that, yeah, I think that all the scenes that you sort of saw where, you know, the townspeople were, uh, you know, making their thoughts known, um, whether that was signing petitions, uh, you know, protesting, as you said at the start as well, just like that casual racism, um, sometimes the more public racism as well. Um, You know, like, I think that it was, I don't know, like, it just obviously like hit you like the wrong way as well. But like, sometimes you do have to remember that people are like this and like, you know, as much as like, you don't want the world to be like this, like there are going to be people this like this as well. And yeah, I think that, um, yeah, that's obviously just unfortunate, but I think that, uh, you know, obviously the message of this movie is like, you know, to learn to be accepting. And I think that we see that with bull coming around as well. Yeah, no, it's definitely, there's a level of ignorance there. If, yeah. um, you know, you don't even know the language. I mean, honestly, I had a refugee apply for a market store last week. Could barely read a word of it. I mean, if you want to live in this country, learn the language. Is that too much to ask? In total agreement, Glenda. You're expecting, you know, 
people who come from different countries, different cultures, don't even speak English, uh, probably trying a hundred percent harder than uh, than their lazy ass attempt at English, and and they've grown up with the language, so yeah. you know. We will just speak about uh, how the message of inclusivity isn't just limited to the story on the screen as well. And so the supporting cast includes many settled refugees. The director of photography, Tony Liu, was born on the boat as his family fled Vietnam. Um, and David Bridey's film score includes many refugee mu musicians, including Farhad Bandish, a Burundi ex-child soldier who has been a detainee on Manus Island for six years. Um, obviously, I think this was uh, written in 2018 as well. Um, and so I don't know the story since then. Um, but yeah, many refugees in Wagga Wagga became extras in the film, including Izadi refugee Cardo Isildon, who went above and beyond in his role and was on set almost every single day to help out where he could. He became one of the featured players in the Bodgy Creek Roosters and even got a character name of his own choosing, which was Iraqi Kev. <laughs> that's uh that's 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 fantastic that's great um there should be there should be more of it mm -hmm. I, I would say yeah yeah um you know it's a step in the right direction isn't it yeah i think so i think that like you know a film like this um you know coming out at whatever time it does like you know it doesn't matter what time it comes out i think that it's such an important art you know sort of story to tell um mm. and like you know you know it's sort of like yeah it is a bit of a like political commentary about like what's happening or you know what has happened in the past and what is still happening as well and so um you know as much as it's sort of like an endearing tale of like you know these refugees being unskilled in a particular game like Aussie rules and you know learning it and you know coming together as a community of this local town like um, I think that, yeah, it's sort of like really important because like, you know, I found myself, you know, not really knowing and like, you know, I think this comes back to what we were talking about at the start as well, like not really knowing about like what, you know, these sorts of conditions are really like. And it seems like, you know, the um, people, all the people involved in the making of this film, like were, you know, really, you know, consulted on or like, you know, in that consulting process. And so like they got these sorts of things right. And then everyone that they sort of included in different parts of the film, like, you know, it's essentially like their stories as well. And so like, I think that that film, like that, you know, made the film have that like bit more, uh, you know, sense of like realism really. And so like, you know, as people, you know, come back to like, you know, people like me who, had no idea about this sort of stuff or like, you know, hadn't really like looked into it too much um, and like understood um, that like, you know, this film has like provided me with that. And so like, I think that that has, is really helpful and really important too. Absolutely. So I talked about um, how this wasn't a perfect movie, um, but it was still a good movie. Um, it's, it's got its fours or whatever but one of the things that uh, I thought was fantastically done was uh, the air of authenticity that each of the the refugee characters backstories had mm -hmm. um, you could kind of tell that they had been consulted um, you know they were either real refugees themselves previously or they had been you could tell that they'd been consulted mm -hmm. just from language they used and and the backstories they had and the places that they talked about being um during the process of, of immigrating to australia and uh yeah yeah that is something that this movie absolutely nailed 
Yeah, definitely. And I think like that was, you know, sort of like more prevalent. I mean, like Saeed was a main character. Um, mm-hmm. And so like, I think that like his story was probably told the most, like, you know, his backstory um, mm-hmm. was told the most. And so like, you know, I think like that build up of like the backstory as you sort of come to learn it, like, you know, sort of like places you in a bit of shock when it comes to the finding out that, you know, his brother um, has died and like his mother's trying to desperately flee um, I think it's Syria and uh yep. so did. Yeah, he is love. But... Bugger didn't come to training of all weeks. You haven't heard love. Heard what? Saeed's brother, Ahmed. There was a raid in Aleppo. He was shot and killed. Oh, no. No. His mum. She wasn't hurt. And just been on the blower all night trying to fast track a visa. Should I go in? They've only just got to sleep, love. Thanks. Like I think like that was a big sort of turning point for the movie as well. Like not and not only the movie, but like the characters of the movie. And because like um, you know, this sort of like um situation, um, you know, sort of brought everyone together a lot more and like you know a lot more people were willing to help him out and like care for him and get around him and um you know yeah I think like you know just like those like as I said like before like the real moments um that were obviously you know conveyed uh on the screen and like you know the emotion of them all um you know it just like hits you really hard and like you know as hits you like the right way in terms of like yeah I think it all comes back to like understanding um what was happening and the mood and uh yeah just how these people uh felt and what they were sort of like willing to do to get away from all of that and just like wanting to be accepted into a local community absolutely beautifully put Jason all right we'll move on now and we will look at how true the sport is in the movie and so I think that we've established, um, you know, a little bit maybe on this episode already, but we definitely established it in the club, which again, if you want to go back and watch it, be my guest, you don't have to, but (laughs) (laughs) definitely listen to the podcast though. Yeah. Maybe don't watch the film, listen to the pod. We do a good enough job on the pod that you could probably give the film a miss, (laughs) I would say. You, myself and Ellie, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, we nailed that. We knocked that out the park. If you're listening to this, just listen to the pod. It's better than the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but we've sort of came to the, like, the consensus that, like, Aussie Rules films are pretty scarce. Um, you don't have many of them. And uh, so I think that, you know, when you do have them, like, I think that, and obviously being a sport that is predominantly played in Australia, and so, like, we've grown up with this. And so, like, we might be more critical of it you know, being on the screen um, at the same time would be like excited about seeing an Aussie rules movie on the screen and seeing the game played out on the screen. Um, I think that, yeah, I think because it's like, you know, you don't see it too often, like you might be a little bit more critical of like how the game uh, is seemingly played um, for the screen. And so we'll go into it a little bit as well. And so um, I think that, yeah, what I sort of like gathered from it as well, like it was all sort of, uh, very like coordinated I think and like sort of staged in terms of like um yeah as I said the play of the of a particular game or of a particular match I mean like you know 
you know, you got what you wanted in terms of like a tap down to a specific person. You got what you wanted in terms of, um, you know, just, you know, the shepherding that they were giving. And like, it was like a bit like half-assed as well, but like, uh -huh. um, and so like, you know, you didn't really get like the pace of it all or, um, you know, just the aggression of it all um, because of that. Like, you know, it seemed like, like I said, like very coordinated. It was like, you know, this is what you need to appear to do. But then at the same time, like these people, like don't try too hard to tackle them either. And and mm. so like, I think for me, like that was sort of like lost, like that part, those parts of the game were sort of like lost on me, like while watching this movie, it was like, you know, I would expect more um, if I was watching an actual Aussie Rules match. Um, and so like, that's what it was like for me. What about you? Listen, uh, you summarized my thoughts quite well at the beginning of that, when you said, uh, you know, because we watch it regularly, we're in Australia, newsflash, anyone listening that hasn't figured that out yet. And we watch a lot of footy, right? Yeah. That's fair to say. Um, so obviously we're going to be critical of it. Um, but at the same time, very excited excited yes there's a footy movie mm -hmm. i've got to say i've talked a lot about um flaws in this movie without kind of nailing too many of them i've got to say one of the biggest flaws in this movie is the actual footy scenes yeah. um i was I, I wouldn't buy them for five cents mate they were uh they were pretty terrible and you referenced the club earlier which is a hugely problematic movie for a for a litany of reasons right but if you could have just got the actual footy from the club which albeit i think they used a lot of vfl archive footage, archive footage yeah yeah but if you could have got that and put that in this movie i mean it sits at a seven out of ten for me at the moment on on imdb if yeah. they could have somehow done that it would have been an eight out of 10. It, it really, really let the movie down. It's very obvious. You'd never actually see a side profile shot of Saeed kicking a football. Yeah. Anyone who's ever kicked a football before in their life or ever watched someone kick a football will know that his posture is just all wrong. He's clearly an athletic dude. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he's well built and he can run like the clappers. But uh, yeah, he, he, no footy player, not fooling me. And uh, unfortunately, it even seemed like um, you know some of the other casts were just uh, were just terrible too. You know what's interesting? I noticed two things because I know that this is a segment now. After yeah. six months or however long, I've it clicked while I was watching this <laughs> that this is going to be something I'm going to say in this segment. Yeah. So when uh, when Callanan kicks the ball. Well inside 50, maybe 20 meters out. Yeah. He kicks a torpedo. <laughs> yes. Very weird. Very, very weird. But like, I don't think that's like totally off brand for like players nowadays. I mean, like my particular <laughs> most particular gripe with like AFL players now is like kicking around the corner from like 20 oh, meters straight in front. And so like I think that was just like similar to that. Like, so that might be true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other thing that uh, I really noticed was a snapper right he's, he's only good at mime footy yeah he's good at mime footy he says right he kicks the winning goal in the grand final um that is actually the best actual kick in the whole game in the entire game uh, that that you actually get to see 
The shittest player on the whole team kicks it. Snapper should have been the captain. He was sensational. Anyway, this is... Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just... Uh, I thought that uh, the way the sport was portrayed um, kind of let the movie down, which was a little bit disappointing. I know they want it, like, obviously for all for dramatic effect and, like, that final scene, that final kick, it was just, like, <laughs> too ridiculous. It was, like, everybody in the goal square, but, like, we're going to shepherd you. Like, I think they called it a Moses or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It was, like, you know, just part the seas. And mm-hmm. I find it hard to believe that, like, yeah, it would uh, travel that far, bounce that far. No one would like break from that, like sort of like scrum, like uh, yeah. you know. Imagine, imagine, like I was sitting there thinking, if I was watching this and it was a grand final and the Crows were winning by five points, <laughs> and that fuck happened, oh, I would be marching on West Lakes, just demanding for the you know something to happen because that's just it's plainly. Uh, just unacceptable <laughs> but anyway i know he didn't make the distance but as far as technique goes drop of the ball kick yeah it, it was the best kick of the game <laughs> uh, and that's saying something considering i had to dribble over the line basically the length of uh of the goal square pretty so, much yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i think that like yeah obviously we talked about like the skills on display in a particular or in you know the match scenarios um the other parts of it is obviously you know the uh i think just the whole mood around the community club um and so like all the people involved and i think that we get this in a lot of uh sports films and we definitely got this in the club as well about how like you know you've got the old guys that have been around for ages at the helm um sort of getting overthrown or you know other people involved in the club trying to like topple them um and so like i think like yeah we sort of we may be touched on it again we're referencing the club we're coming back to it still. <laughs> but, um, but uh yeah i think that you know you're definitely going to have that uh sort of like changing of the guard um and uh yeah, I think that you get that in, you know, most sports as well, and especially Aussie rules. And I think that, uh, yeah, I think that, like, that's a whole process. But, you know, coming back to, like, the community aspect, like, you're going to have, you know, everyone sort of, like, involved in the town, um, sort of, especially in, like, a small town like that, like, you know, where, you know, the players are just, like, working at the bar and um, the local pub and stuff. Like, you know, they're actively involved in the community and they're actively involved in the uh, sporting community as well. Um, And so, like, I don't think, like, it was too, you know, indifferent to, you know, how things might be here. Like, you know, you're going to have a local player in a small town, you know, having the second, having a proper job as well and, you know, just all coming together at once and um, actually having, like, that sort of, like, input into the decisions of a football club too like you know no matter how uh limited time it seems that they had in this particular barn house um you know making all these decisions only to be interrupted by like medieval people as well are you guys nearly done we've got this place booked from six and it, it takes us a while to set up our siege engine so as someone who's recently moved to a small town that is absolutely Aussie rules mad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, obviously it's played up for dramatic effects and, uh, you know, the clubs are actually quite a lot bigger than uh, than Bodgy Creek was, um, the Roosters. But uh, they got, they nailed the vibe. 
mm-hmm. of uh, a small town um, footy club, and uh, you know how the uh, how the players like everyone knows the players, and you know, it, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think they definitely nailed the vibe, given my uh, you know my short experience so far. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely they definitely. They didn't nail everything, but definitely the feeling around the club and and the clickiness a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely nailed that that aspect of it. So yeah. All right. Well, we've talked about the vibe of a community town and a community football club, and I think a lot of that comes with the sorts of characters that you get. And so we had a lot of characters involved in this movie, and they each had their you know silly sort of litany of nicknames as well. And so we will go into just a few of them as well. And so we had Damian Cullinan as Troy Carrington, John Howard as Bull Barlow, Kate Mulvaney as Angie Barlow, Rafferty Gearson as Neil Barlow, Faisal Buzzy as Saeed, uh, Nick Cody as Goober, Josh McConville as Snapper, Angus McLaren as Carpet Burn. Uh, I've got some thoughts, Jace, if you, if you will indulge me. Okay. Uh, I've got some. Uh, I've got some. I've got some thoughts on the actors. Now I don't know the actors' names. Yes, we're reverting to type here, where I haven't fully studied this. But carpet, carpet. What's it? Carpet. Carpet burn. burn. Carpet burn. Carpet burn. Right. Um, that kind of character is a dime a dozen in every city that you will go to in Australia. And I feel like even though he was kind of the villain a little bit of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, he knocked it out of the park. He was really good. Um, the actor that played Saeed, despite my um, hesitance to give him any props for his uh, footballing skills, um, I feel like uh, he played the role really well. He brought a lot of emotion to um, you know his backstory and 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 the refugee side of stuff. And you know, as bad as he was at footy, I, I bought it. I bought yeah. it from him. So. Th- that 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 speaks to his performance. Um, Damien Callan um, was great. He was fantastic. The young fella, brilliant. Angie, brilliant. Um, it might be of some surprise to people who are familiar with the with Australian you know TV and cinema that uh, the worst performance in this movie was John Howard as Ball. He was phoning it in. I don't know if Damien Allen did something to piss him off and he just said, I'm just going to bring my best B-grade acting to this movie because I saw that John Howard was in it and I thought this is going to be fantastic. He's a brilliant actor. He rarely fails. But uh, I just uh, I just thought it was, it was a lazy performance. I didn't buy him as ball uh, for a second. Um, it, yeah, yeah, I... I one out of ten. He dragged the movie down, which is not what you expect um, when you see John Howard in the uh, cast list. No, you definitely wouldn't expect that. Um, definitely not. And, yeah, no, that's a, a bit surprising. But uh, I can definitely see it. I can definitely uh, see how you'd come to that conclusion. Um, I think that, yeah, I think it's just, like, his character as well. Like, you know, you know, you talked about how um, Angus McLaren's character, you know, Carpet Burn, was sort of a villain, and uh, I guess um, Bull is as well. Um, but yeah, I think like it was just like the way that he's like played the character. Like, I don't know if like 
for all that I know of Don Howard, like I wouldn't ever really pick him as playing like a villain type of character either. And so like, maybe that was like part of the reason why I couldn't like totally see him um, in this particular character um, itself. And uh, yeah, sort of made it hard to believe that, you know, I could see him in that way, like no matter Mm -hmm. what he was doing or what he was saying. Um, And so like, I think like that, you know, is sort of like how I see it. Yeah, that uh, that is something that I hadn't considered actually. Like, um, perhaps he struggled a little bit playing yeah. a villain. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe I'll cut him some slack for that, but still, I I wasn't impressed with his uh, performance in this movie at all. Yeah. Um. You know. Yeah. Just touching on a couple of others. Uh, Fasil Bazzi, who played Saeed. Um, he actually, he was actually nominated for the 2018 Actor Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role um, for the merger. Um, so he obviously didn't win it, but he was nominated. And I think that uh, was a deserved nomination as well. Um, I think that we definitely saw, you know, so many different sides of, uh, you know, this actor and, uh, you know, the character that he was playing. And so... I think for that, like, you know, I don't know who else was nominated and who ended up winning, but uh, I can definitely see how uh, Faisal was nominated. Um, and, uh, yeah, maybe a little hard done by because, uh, yeah, based on his performance and, you know, what we've said, um, you know, his character and his portrayal of uh, his character was really good. Um, I think from, mm-hmm. yeah, the first sort of moment that you see him um, right all the way to the end and everything in between. And so... Um, yeah, I think that, you know, that's sort of important to point out. I think that for as much as like, you know, you're sort of, I think, inclined to hate the character um, mm-hmm. of Carpet Burn, I think that, um, yeah, Angus McLaren did a really good job of sort of conveying a character like that. Um, and like, again, like, I think, and like, maybe this is a difference, like, like a difference the way that I see it in terms of like Angus McLaren playing a character that, you know, is seemingly a villain versus John Howard. I mean, like Angus McLaren for like what I know him from as well, um, uh-huh. you know, is stuff like, you know, packed to the rafters. He was on H2O, just add water. Like, you know, like these <laughs> Deep sorts cut, of man. Deep cut. My God. <laughs> these sorts of roles that you know him by, like they're all like sort of like, uh chilled like down to earth sort of roles and you know like um there's no real sort of like bad energy bad behavior in any of these roles i don't think or i can't remember mm-hmm. but like angus mclaren i thought like in this movie like he was just able to switch like that and like you know i'd believe him as a villain and like you know i'd probably look back at like these series that you know those series that i just mentioned now like having just watched this film and like I'd be like confused, like they were two different people or like, you know, he was, um, you know, acting as two different characters. I mean, obviously they're two different characters, but two different like types of actings and tones and, um, you know, just the way that he was able to convey different uh, types of characters. Yeah. Angus McLaren, uh, brilliant performance from him as Carpet Burn. Um, he really nailed the, uh, you know, the uh, what's the opposite of uh, lovable jerk. Um, hateable jerk, I suppose. Um, yeah, he was really good. And uh, I just got to give props to you, Jason, for uh, just sliding in a H2O reference, a TV show <laughs> I have not thought about for 10 or 15 years at least. <laughs> the final one that I'll just touch on as well is Damien and Callanan. Um, I think that, like, you know, 
I think that it was sort of like, I don't know if it was like a given that like he would get this leading role. Um, You know, we mentioned his, uh, his one man show earlier, which like formed the basis of this movie essentially. And so like the way that he was like, you know, uh, you know, was sort of like the focal point of like that, his own show in that way. Um, And like everything that he did with that show and like building it up to that show, like I sort of like think, you know, was there anyone else that could have played Troy Carrington? Um, I don't know if he maybe would have let, um, you know, himself uh, or let anyone else play it. I think that, yeah, you do see this sometimes when uh, people who, you know, create something that they want made, um, whether it is for film, TV, uh, the stage, um, you know, if they feel like they've like created this, like they want to be in that leading role. And I think like, there might have been that with Damien Callanan. Um, like I can't really think of any examples other than um Hamilton at the moment and Lin Manuel Miranda um wanting to be yep. in the in the leading role. And obviously, I don't think that you can totally compare Hamilton to the merger um as much. But uh, what do you think about that, Stewie? Do you think Damien Callanan um you know sort of said, you know, this is my project, this is my role? Yeah, I do. And uh, I think he was the right, you know, neck or no neck, he was the right guy for the role. Um, you know, it was his one-man show, his brainchild, his baby, I suppose, so you can't begrudge him. And it's not like he gave a terrible performance. Um, he he was he was very good. I wouldn't say he was excellent, but he was very good in the role. And uh, it's almost to the point where you couldn't imagine anyone else in the role. And I'm glad you walked back the Hamilton comparison because uh, <laughs> this – is nowhere near as good as Hamilton. Hamilton is a 10 out of 10, probably one of the uh, few 10 out of 10s I would ever give. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think uh, Damien Callanan um, was, uh, he, he was very good in this movie and uh, it showed that um, he had a bit of affinity for the character and he was definitely invested in the story. Yeah, absolutely. Our next question asks uh, whether there was any relatable character in the film for yourself. So this could include the character as a whole, particular aspect of them, or maybe it was just a line that the character said. So was there any character like that for you in the merger? It's interesting, uh, Jason. You see, um, we spoke once again off mic. I keep giving these peeks behind the curtain this week. Um, you know, when I was a young fella, I loved sports and I thought I'm going to make it as a sportsman. Um, this is before I uh, discovered my love for writing. Okay. And, uh, you know, it took failure in sports. Mm-hmm. Many, many failures, many, many times being named the emergency. Um, just like our old mate snapper. Yeah. Um, for me to find my love for writing and then finding out, well, you can combine these two and that's a job that's out there, sports writing. And, you know, yeah, also like Snapper, I could probably kick better than the rest of them too, but the coach never gave me a chance. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like you've just stolen my life story there, Stewie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, in, I'd say Snapper as well um, for similar reasons, I guess, because, like, when I played footy, like I obviously wasn't the best. Like I was a bit on the outer as well. Like spend, you know, most of the games on the bench. Um, and you know, just felt really sort of like hard done by. Um, and sort of like not given a shot or anything like that. And uh, I think luckily as well, like 
I didn't like get up to the point in my footy career where, uh, you know, the team selections happen. It was just like, you know, if you're part of the team, if you're part of the squad, like you'll be at least like on the bench, you'll get game time. And so like, I think that, you know, as like you go up to like the senior ranks, like there is actually that like team selection. And like, I think that mm-hmm. I would have hated that. So I was glad that I got out when I did, I reckon. Um, But like, yeah, I think similar to how Snapper was feeling about like, you know, him not being selected for like, you know, a particular game. And I think the grand final or um, I think it was the semi actually. Um, semi, yeah. yeah. Um, And just like, you know, feeling like, you know, sad about that um so yeah i think like that was it for me um i also think that maybe um and like i don't think that you know my footy was that bad but maybe i would have been better at mime footy than real footy too (laughs) (laughs) mate if we were on the same mime footy team we would have created a dynasty jason okay (laughs) absolutely All right, we are coming to the end of the episode now where we ask Stewie, I think, your favourite prompt. If you could have an Aussie Wolves <laughs> movie get made, what would it be and why? Okay, so um, I actually have given this one some thought, Jace. Mm-hmm. This is this this movie, this podcast has been a real turning point for me. Um, <laughs> I've started absorbing the segments and, uh, and thinking about them prior to uh, jumping on our calls. So... Um, this is this is can only be a good thing. Anyway, um, Collingwood had quite the drought between I think 1958 and 1990 um, when they broke that premiership drought, 32 mm-hmm. years. Um, and I just think uh, that would be a fascinating story. There's some iconic characters there. Peter Dacos, his son's tearing it up for the Pies um, this year, um, was actually my favourite player when I was a little fella before the Crows. Um, Lee Matthews, um, iconic in uh, in Australian rules football, and uh, this is kind of, you know, he'd been around for a while, but this is the uh, the start of his coaching story. You know, he he yeah. went from this legendary player to this legendary coach. There's just so many little sub stories in there. There's the Darren Mullane story, who unfortunately passed away. You know, not twelve months after winning the flag. Um, you know, Tony Shaw was uh, was a uh, you know, he, he was part of a Collingwood dynasty and his sons ended up playing for Collingwood as well. And uh, I think his name was James Manson, who had one of the weirdest kicking styles I've ever seen before in my life too. So mm-hmm. I'd love to see someone try and recreate that. As a matter of fact, um, you know, we could probably get someone from from the merger to recreate it and it'd probably be their natural style. So that's uh, <laughs> that's that, that that's my pick. Uh, yeah. The, the Collingwood 1990 Premiership. And, you know, you could do it in a way where it starts at the 1989 Grand Final um, with Hawthorne playing Geelong, um, the very first game of footy I ever watched. So, yeah. No, good good to know. Yeah, there's so many uh, players and stories that you could do um, throughout that time span and um, mm-hmm. so much that you could include uh, with yeah. that particular story. So, great idea. Mm-hmm. My idea, um, it's not so much about a particular club or a particular game or a particular moment in history but i would love to uh, get a movie on sort of uh i guess the creation of uh mad monday celebrations and uh what sort of goes into them um obviously we see teams uh come up with mad monday costumes each year um and sort of like so i would like uh yeah um you know away from all the 
uh, familiar storylines of a team winning and the team winning a championship like maybe focus on a team that you know hasn't done well in a season but like what they're most looking forward to is mad monday and then like you know just all the planning and preparation that goes into that um you know you can have a few little sub stories throughout that as well maybe something goes wrong on a mad monday but uh yeah i think uh a story about you know mad monday um and just everything involved in that particular day um i'd love to know listen I'm going to say this to you, Jason. I'm going to say this as a friend. I think that you should choose something else because that is a fucking brilliant idea that should be made into a movie. Honestly, that is sensational. And in 10 years' time, you're going to be lining up at the theatre and see a big poster and it's going to be Mad Monday and you're going to be like, that's my idea. They listen to goals on film and they've ripped off my idea. Honestly, that's brilliant. It's a fantastic idea, and I would 1,000% watch that movie. All right, we now have come to the end of this episode. So, Stuart, would you like to share your social media handles with us and any other places where our viewers can see or listen to you? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Um, You can get me at Stuart the Sports Guy on Instagram. Uh, Stuart is sick of it on Twitter. Um, And also Stuart the Sports Guy on TikTok. I've only posted one TikTok. But uh, please follow me because it's embarrassing the small amount of followers I have. Um, and you can also hear me on After Extra Time. We're taking the week off this week because it's an international break, but we will be back with a vengeance next week, uh, previewing all the Premier League action. Looking forward to it. So where can we find you and where can we hear you, Jason? Yes, well, you can hear me every week on Goals on Film and uh Again, make sure you listen back to our previous episodes because they are all great episodes. But if you want to see me or find me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, all at the handle at Jace Irves. You have been listening to Goals on Film. You can find Goals on Film on Twitter and Instagram at Goals on Film Pod. Goals on Film is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn at Edge of the Crowd. You can also view any of our stories about sport, culture, or politics on our website, www.edgeofthecrowd.com. Until next week, thanks for listening.